The Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Uh, We're not going to do a lot of waiting tonight. We are going to review Zechariah. And we have uh, 14 chapters, but they're really fairly uh, fairly short. So it should be uh, not too big of a challenge for us. But we have a few seconds for spiritual preparation. That includes confession of sins. It takes just a few seconds. Closing our eyes and bowing our heads. And then I will open us in prayer. Let's do so. Dearly Father, we're thankful for this uh, remarkable opportunity that we have to study the mind of Christ so that we have a better understanding of establishment principles, uh, divine establishment, the divine institutions. And we also, Father, have a, a guide that we can follow in our daily lives. We pray, Father, that the Bible would not just be something that we pick up once in a while, carry to church, but that we would endeavor to read it, uh, study it, and to uh, hide it in our hearts. We pray now as we approach uh, Zechariah tonight, a review after our our study of it, that we might have uh, a better understanding of it and the importance of it, not only to uh, to history, to prophecy, to Israel, but to us as well, because there are many principles here that are truly uh, applicable to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, to begin, to get us started, we we definitely saw that Zechariah is one of the twelve prophets. As a matter of fact, it is the eleventh of the twelve prophets that we would study. And we have various different names or categories. And the category in which Zechariah falls is really the latter prophets. Uh, The former prophets would include those who came quite a bit before them, some people would uh, go as far forward as Samuel and picking up prophets of that category. But when we think of the former prophets, we generally think of those that begin with Isaiah, um, Zechariah, um, those that are going to be uh, yet uh, early in Israel's history. And Zechariah is uh, a prophet that was... Uh, whose ministry was for encouragement and comfort. And in his uh, his prophecy, there is also historical significance uh, and some very interesting interludes. And we have uh, God's future plans for his people. 
And chapter 11, of course, is the uh, rejection, but yet the prophecy of the coming king, the Messiah. So tonight, uh, in order for us to get our feet on the ground at the beginning of the book, I used a background for us. And uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are all post-exilic books. So there are, of the latter prophets, nine of them are uh, pre-exilic. And then Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, which are the three last books in the Old Testament, are what's known as post-exilic. We could play around a little bit with Daniel and Ezekiel and say that they were exilic prophets because they were prophesying during the exile. But they're generally not, uh, you generally don't hear them described that way, but they are. Uh, Secondly here, Nebuchadnezzar conquered and took captives to Babylon. And that, of course, is our uh, background and the frame, uh, the basis for uh, this book because Zechariah is dealing with those exiles who came back, who returned. Um, and he took three different um, deportations. He took one in 605, and that was Daniel's group. He took one in 597, that was Ezekiel's group. And then 586 BC is when Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and the temple therefore plays a significant part of our uh, topic tonight. And then, uh, and that's when all the rest of them departed. In 539 B.C., Cyrus the Great uh, conquers Babylon, and everything changes in the Middle East, because Cyrus has a different perspective than uh, the Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians believed in taking people captive, disrupting their nation, and uh, essentially destroying the culture within the nation, particularly if they had been very uh, resistant. But Cyrus the Great wanted uh, the people to return, set up their culture and their gods and he believed that it would they would be productive and they would be better um, uh, pay better tributes that way uh, Cyrus decreed the uh, exiled captives to return to Jerusalem beginning in 538 BC we saw that in 537 536 the altar was restored and the foundation laid for the temple therefore when they returned, and we know that it was Zerubbabel who found himself in the rubble of Jerusalem, and he is the one that's doing the rebuilding. Uh, Six foreigners in the land opposed the work, and it stopped in 534. And that provides the setting for our two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, who ministered together. And then Haggai and Zechariah resume the work in 520 B.C. and the temple is completed in 515. And then finally, point eight, 
The situation in Judah was bleak, and the people were discouraged. So that's where we find ourselves. And um, this is our background uh, that really hopefully puts us into a position where we now uh, can launch ourselves into uh, the book. And I'm not going to waste a lot of time getting into the book here, uh, but the first thing that we, we realize is that there's going that Zechariah, after he sort of gives us an intro, is going to have eight night visions, and they take up the first six cha- six chapters of the book, and they go really rather quickly. Um, not all of them are easy easy to understand, particularly one of them, but we'll we'll get that when we arrive. All right, we're in Zechariah, Zechariah one one. Here we go. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, and this is going to be, as far as um, we're concerned, it's about 520 B.C. because uh, uh, Darius, this king, we believe, came to the throne about 522 B.C. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. And the fathers are not just those who are back in Babylon or some that may have come with them, but these are those who were disobedient in Israel, in Judah, particularly in the generations just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. But you'll see the word fathers used several times by Zechariah, and the usage here establishes that meaning your fathers and remember Zechariah is now in the land he is in Judah he is addressing those who are in the land who have been who attempted to build the temple they managed to build the uh, the altar they laid the foundation for the temple and then they stopped that's about as far as they got because of the opposition. And they really weren't trying. And so Haggai came in with a big stick and beat them about the head and shoulders and got them back to work. And now Zechariah, who is with Haggai, is now going to give them encouragement because they really see no hope for the future. Uh, there's a lot of opposition. The city's in, ru- in rubble. Uh, they're working on the temple, but the temple is going to be uh, pitiful in comparison to what Solomon had built. And this is where he finds himself. But Zacharias starts out with reminding them of who they were and what happened. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, shuv, the Hebrew word shuv here, means to change your mind, to uh, change your attitude and your uh, your behavior, says the Lord of hosts. And I, the Lord of hosts, will return to you. In other words, this is the return in blessing. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they, the fathers, did not hear nor incline their ears towards me, says the Lord. Verse 5, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? 
Well, no, they didn't. And your fathers, they're gone. They're in exile. Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? And the answer is, yes, they did. So they turned and said, in other words, they here is going to be the fathers. Back in exile, they finally uh, began to recognize the Lord and be, be obedient to him. And they recognized that just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways, evil ways, and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. He did exactly what he, was go- he said he would do. If we weren't obedient, we were going to be destroyed. Our nation would be destroyed. And now, we're going to have these eight night visions that are revealed to Zechariah. He'll have an interpreting angel helping him. We're going to see the angel of the Lord. We're going to see God the Father involved. And these eight night visions are designed to begin to look into the future because those who are listening to Zechariah are really discouraged and they need this encouragement. And so here we go. Our first vision, the vision of the horses. Rider on this, uh, uh, on the red horse. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, this is a Babylonian month, in the second year of Darius, and this is about 519, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, is the way it's pronounced in Hebrew, the son of Idu, the prophet. I saw by night, and behold, a man, and we're going to see that this is probably the angel of the Lord, riding on a red horse, and it stood amongst the myrtle trees in the hollow, and we're, he's in Israel, and he's talking to them, and it's probably maybe there in the valley of, uh, of Kidron, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, white, we believe these are war horses, then I said, my Lord, this is Zechariah speaking, what are these? So the angel, and this is the interpreting angel that's standing there, that's helping Zechariah understand this, who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees, this is the, I believe this is the angel of the Lord, he's the one that answered and said, these are the ones whom the Lord, God the Father, has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And they do this because they are God's sovereign control of the earth. Uh, he, he has omniscience. He doesn't need to have uh, reconnaissance teams. But this speaks to us about the Lord's knowledge. He knows what's happening. So they answered the angel of the Lord. In other words, there's a report. And they are now giving a report. Uh, who stood amongst the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. In other words, everything's happening according to what God has either directed or allowed. Then the angel of the Lord, we're going to get a little bit of an explanation here, a little bit of an interlude between this and the second vision. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you, the Father, 
not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you, the Father, were angry, judicial action, these seventy years. And the Lord, the Father, answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke to me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous, passionate for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. In other words, this is, again, judicial anger towards these Gentile nations, and we'll see why. For I was a little angry at Israel, and they helped, but with evil intent. In other words, they went beyond, plus they didn't have the right motivation here. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. And a surveyor line always means construction, building. Again, proclaim, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again spread throughout, spread through, uh, shall spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion, Jerusalem, and will again choose Jerusalem as his place to live. Vision 2. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, the interpreting angel, what are these? So he answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? So we have four horns, then we have four craftsmen, and the general interpretation here is that these four horns that scattered Israel are those nations that did that. Assyria would be one, Babylonia would be another one. We have Persia right behind them, and right behind Persia is Greece. And Uh, then we have these four craftsmen what are these so he said these are the horns that scattered Judah and there's a possibility that Assyria is not part of that that we start with Babylon Babylon Greece or Babylon Persia Greece and Rome and then the four craftsmen are the ones that come and dismantle the horns Uh, but the horns are coming to terrify them to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. And we believe that that very well might be then, as we look at that, we would say that that, that those would probably be uh, the craftsmen that are going to work against them are going to be uh, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the last craftsman, possibly is the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of the messianic kingdom. Our third vision. So these are the visions. This is the future that is being seen here. Then I raised up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man, possibly, again, the angel of the Lord, with a measuring line in his hand. And remember, when you see a measuring line, we're talking about some sort of construction. Sometimes, and mostly, it seems in the Bible, it's for it's a positive construction, usually building or rebuilding. Um, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, again, very likely the angel of the Lord, to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out. In other words, he's departing. 
And another angel comes running to him. This is sort of an interesting scene that says, no, don't depart from Zechariah. Go back there because you're going to need to continue to explain things to him. Who said to me, run, speak to the young man, this is Zechariah, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. This tells us that the angel of the Lord, uh, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, has returned. We're in the Messianic kingdom. It's been rebuilt. It's prospering. It's overflowing the walls. And as a matter of fact, they don't need walls because the Lord Jesus Christ is their protection. And now we have, beginning in verse 6, sort of an interlude of a summary of the first three visions. And it's a warning to the nations of coming judgment. Verse 6 says, up, up, flee from the land of the north. This are These are the Jews that are told to depart from Babylon, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me, and here we think that the Lord of hosts is probably the Father, speaking to the Son, who is the Messiah, who is carrying out this action. He sent me after glory to the nation, the nations uh, who plundered you, the Jews. For he who touches you, in other words, any other nation that touches you, touches the apple of his eye. For surely I, the Messiah, the Son, will shake my hand against them, the nations, and those nations, they shall become spoil for their servants. In other words, the people that they had taken captive, they are now going to be overrun, overwhelmed by those that they had uh, defeated. Then you, the Jews, will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughters of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. In other words, these nations are Gentile nations that are joined to the Lord. And I will dwell in your midst. This is in Jerusalem. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem as his home, as the place for him to dwell. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Now, uh, we begin uh, the uh, fourth vision. Just finish that sort of summary of the first three. And we see a picture of the uh, the righteousness of God, the imputation of God here, beginning in this vision of the high priest. And the high priest is going to be Joshua, who was the high priest at the time with Zerubbabel. And we're going to see that Joshua here is going to be um, used as a representative for for Israel. Then he... The, the interpretive angel showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan the name Satan means the accuser 
standing at his, Joshua's right hand, to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, this is the son, the Lord, and of course he's referring, the way he's referring to this, it appears that this is the father, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, the father who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not Joshua, is not this individual, a brand plucked from the fire? And he's representing uh, the Jewish nation here that has been brought back from Babylon so that they may now be reestablished in Israel. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the Lord. In other words, uh, they are they are sinful. They uh, have yet to be established themselves as being righteous and faithful. Then he, the son, answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, Joshua, he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. In other words, this is the ceremonial cleansing for Israel to once more return to uh, a holy relationship with with God. And I said, Let them put on clean put a clean turban on his head, and again this is he being the son. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. In other words, as this was being done, this is we believe that this is something that's ongoing in the the tribu- in the uh, early part of the millennium. And then we have direction to to Joshua. So Joshua has just been ceremonial cleansed. He has his new clothes. He's been uh, uh, clothed with righteousness. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and again, he is a representative here of Israel, if you will walk in my ways, and it's sort of a personification of the nation, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign, restoration of the priestly nation to God. For behold, I, the Father, am bringing forth my servant, the branch, and this is the Messiah. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, and the stone here is going to be the cornerstone for the temple and that is going to be representative of uh, of the Lord I have laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes behold I will engrave its inscription says the Lord of hosts and when we talk about eyes we very often are talking about vision and for God it's his omniscience his all knowing presence we're going to see seven used later, and I think it's used in a similar fashion. So we have these seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of God, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree, and such uh, a symbolism for great prosperity. Chapter 4, we begin the fifth vision vision of the lampstand and the olive tree and the angel this is the interpreting angel who talked with me came back and wakened me 
as the man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? Now remember, we bo- since we're not covering a lot of time uh, for Zechariah in Jerusalem at this time, we're, it's very possible that these eight visions all happen in one night. He sees one right after the other. And so that's why this angel is constantly waking him up. He sees the vision, he falls asleep, he wakes him up, he sees another one. So that's how this works. Um, so I said, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Verse 3, two olive trees are by it. One at the right hand of the bowl and the other is on the left. Now, what's thankfully, verse 11 helps us a little bit with these two trees. Otherwise, we'd be floundering around for a while. Verse 4. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? You know, the angel always says, What do you see? And he'll say, What are they? Don't you know what they are? Haven't got quite the insight that the angels do. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? It's almost as if you should know. And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, I've fallen behind here. There we are, the lampstand. Um, says the Lord of hosts. Now, uh, the uh, the lampstand the lamp here is the what we believe to be the, the return of the uh, of Israel, the the, the temple, and uh, what could be understood as. Uh, the nation itself and it's uh, being reestablished because the menorah would represent the temple and the furniture and the reestablishment of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me go further here. I've got these written down. I just keep forgetting to use this. Um, here we are, the two lampstands. The menorah represents Israel at the end of days when it has come to faith in Messiah. Israel would rebuild the temple and fulfill their function as the light to the nations, and the Messiah would unite the two offices as king and priest. So let's continue on here. So we've reestablished the nation. We've reestablished the temple, and that's what the menorah represents. And now verse 7 is sort of an interesting uh, parenthesis. 7, I think it goes to... Uh, to the end of verse 10. And it says, uh, Who are you, O great mount? In other words, Zerubbabel and the uh, the exiles who are there are trying to rebuild the temple, but they have obstacles to them, resistance. And here it's represented as a great mountain, this obstacle. What's the obstacle to rebuilding the temple? And restoring, restoring the the worship and obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. In other words, the obstacle shall be removed. 
and he shall bring forth the capstone. And the capstone here is always considered to be the last stone that's put in the construction. It is the capstone. And a capstone was the stone in the arch, the one that was right at the top that was fit in, and then everything else is, is sort of uh, held together by that capstone. So the capstone here is a symbol of completion. So, and he shall bring forth the capstone. So obstacles removed, temple rebuilt, finished, concluded, and shouts of grace, grace to it. In other words, praises of uh, favor and thanksgiving to the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hand of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? In other words, the completion of the temple might seem small compared to Solomon's temple. For these seven, and I think, again, we see these seven eyes is the idea here. Otherwise, and seven eyes means completion or perfection here. So the the eyes rejoice to see it. Um, in other words, we would say that there is a... Uh, a sense of completion and, and maybe even a bit of a sense of here of the, the knowledge that it was going to occur. The plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel for construction and completion. These are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro, uh, to and fro throughout the entire earth. So God's uh, omniscience and his dominion over all the earth uh, is decreeing that this is going to occur. It's going to be completed, and that should be an encouragement. Then I answered and said to him, But what about these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that dip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. He said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And it appears here that the messianic significance here, the feeding the two oils, you know, for the, uh, the, the, the temple, well, the Messiah is going to fulfill both of those, and that is, he is not only going to be the king, but he is also going to be the priest. So we have the two senses here of the king and the priest, and that's the Messiah, who is the kingly priest. Um, and that's what the two olive trees, the symbolism there. Uh, this is in the uh, the millennium. He will fulfill both of those roles. He's the anointed uh, priest, and he's also the anointed king. Now, vision six. Vision six is the flying scroll. Uh Chapter 5, verse 1. And when we get to chapter 5, we have three remaining, 6, 7, and 8, and these all relate to judgment, three uh, visions of judgment. Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. And the, the sense of the scroll here is that this is the word of God. Some people would say it's the Torah, and that's fine. But it has the sense of God's righteousness, uh, his guidance, uh, the establishment of truth. And the flying scroll means that this is something that's going to happen quickly. 
And he, the angel, said to me, What do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. And he said to me, This is the curse of the judgment that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of it, the scroll said, and every uh, perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. So this is the enforcement of the law for those who are breaking the law. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of the hosts, said the Lord of hosts. It, judgment, shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. So there's this judgment uh, on, on the earth against those who are disobedient or in revolt against God. Uh, Our seventh vision, the vision of the woman in the basket, is probably one of the more difficult ones um, for scholars. But it's again, it's a judgment against Israel. It looks like it's against their commerce. Their commerce, which was, uh, we could say it was, it's described here as wickedness, but it's dishonest. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it's a basket, an ephod that is going forth. So it's a basket that uh, contains evil and it's commerce. He also said, this is there in the New King James, it says resemblance, I think in the New American Standard Bible, it says appearance. Um, so it's it's the appearance, it's the uh, the influence it has throughout the entire earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up. There's Here's a lead disc uh, lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. And the woman here is the personification of idolatry and um, the uh, from Israel and the, the evil commerce that it, it produces sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down in the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. So it's also a a, a jail. It's a prison cell. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. In other words, it's moving now. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, when it is ready, for the basket will be set there on its base. And so this is the the center for religious and economic or uh, commercial uh, commercialism during the uh, tribulation. And that's where it is going to be destroyed. And then we have our final vision, uh, vision 8 and vision 8 is the four chariots which is again our uh, which is a good judgment then I turned and raised my eyes and looked and, be- and behold four chariots were coming from between two mountains and the mountains uh, were mountains of bronze now we're going to see that they're they're actually coming they're spirits of heaven so we believe that this is a description of heaven from a human perspective. Mountains being uh, dominion, God's dominion, and the bronze gates, we might say, which were 
uh, at the time considered to be extremely strong. With the first chariot were red horses, and the second black horses, and the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth cha- uh, chariot dappled or gray horses, strong steeds, so they're going forth in judgment. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. White are going after them. And the dappled are going, or gray, are going towards the south country. Then the strong steeds went out, eager to go, that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, Go, walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro and fro throughout the earth and he called to me and spoke to me saying see those who go towards the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country in other words uh, they're satisfying the righteousness of God now uh, there's some discussion exactly what it means by going north and south but generally speaking uh, anyone who was invading Israel came from the north. They weren't going to come across the desert. And anyone invading from the south was going to come up from the south. Usually it was Egypt. And so these these uh, uh, chariots of judgment are going in that direction. They're going south in judgment and they're going north in judgment. And uh, the idea here, we're not told uh, about all of the chariots, but the sense is that they're all going out in judgment. And then when we get to verse 9, we have the conclusion of the visions. And Zechariah here is told to perform a, uh, take sort of a symbol, uh, make a symbol in the, of a crown. And he is going to place it on Joshua. And Joshua is going to be a representative of the Messiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah saying, Receive the gifts from the captives from uh, Heldai, A-I here in Hebrew is pronounced just like an I, so it's Heldai, Tobiah, and uh, Jediah, who have come from Babylon, and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and the gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Yehozak, the high priest, then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is Branch. And so here we have another representation of the Messiah. He's the branch. We often see it used as the sprout that comes out of David. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall between, uh, and the council of peace shall be between both of them. So he's sitting and ruling as a, as a king and as priest. And peace means the satisfaction of the Lord. So everything is going to be the way the Lord has designed it. Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. For Helem, believe that that probably is a little bit better translated, the Heldai instead. Uh, Tobiah and Jediah and Hen, 
the son of Zephaniah. Uh, Hen here is the word for grace, so the name has been changed from Josiah to Hen. So it's the grace. He's now, that's understood. Verse 15. Uh, Even those from afar, this is sort of a sense of the Gentiles, shall come and build the temple of the Lord. So uh, they're going to participate in the millennium in this construction. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. All right, we've just finished with those night visions. And as we begin uh, chapter 7, we have a bit of a historical interlude because there are going to be some people that come to, to Zechariah and ask him a question. And the answer is going to be given in chapter 7 and 8. And I'm going to move through those rather quickly because we'll see that there are four, four messages or four answers. Uh, two of them are going to come in chapter 7 and two of them are going to come in chapter 8. Now, in the fourth year, this is 518 B.C. of King Darius, came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev. When the people sent Sherezer and Regemelech and his peep and his men from Bethel. Some have the house of God, but that's what Bethel is. So they came from Bethel, which was north of Jerusalem, to pray or to seek favor before the Lord, and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep? And the word here for weep is weep, but it it means to mourn. Should I mourn in the fifth month? and fast as I have done for so many years. And the idea here is they're not weeping in one month and fasting in another. They're weeping and fasting and weeping and fasting in both of these months. And here we have the first message or the first answer. And the first answer is going to identify this as as empty ritualism. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying to Zechariah, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests. He is the prophet. He is the one that has the message from the Lord. So he can answer this question. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets? when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prospered, and the south and the lowlands were inhabited. In other words, shouldn't you just obey? Why are you spending so much time uh, with this mourning and fasting when obedience would have been the order of the day? And while we don't get an answer specifically to that question, should we, the answer is, this is empty ritualism. It's not doing you any good. You might as well not be doing it. In other words, don't worry about it. But we'll see some of these other answers. Now, the second message begins in verse 8, second answer. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. In other words, don't do that, do this. Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But... They, these are the fathers, 
refused to heed, refused to incline their ear, shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, negative volition, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen. In other words, they weren't obedient, and when discipline started to fall, they cried out, but it was too late. I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts, but I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, thus uh, so that no one passed through or returned, for they, these are the fathers, made the pleasant land desolate. Now, chapter 8, we begin the third message or the third answer, and this is a message of restoration. We, we really had uh, the first two. I don't think I, I gave you this. The first message was a message of rebuke. When they say, what should we do? Well, in verses 4 through 7, there's the message of rebuke. He rebukes them because what they're doing is really empty ritualism. And then in verses 8 through is that 14, they have the message of repentance. They're told to repent. This is how you're supposed to act. Now we have the message of restoration. And this goes all the way over to verse 17. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion and with great zeal, with great fervor, passion. I am zealous for her. So this is the message. The Messiah is going to restore Israel and Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again set, sit in old age, this is in the millennium, in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, uh, and this is millennial Jerusalem, and it's going to be difficult for those who are standing in front of Zechariah to believe this, and therefore it's going to say, if it is difficult in the eyes of the remnant, and they are the remnant that are there, of this people in these days, will it also be difficult in my eyes, says the Lord? No. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will deliver my people from the land of the east, and from the land of the west I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. In other words, I'm going to bring them back from everywhere, regather them. They shall be my people, and I will be their gods in truth and in righteousness. That's the character of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Incur be encouraged. You who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, who spoke in the day the foundation was laid, the foundation of the temple. For the house uh, of the Lord of hosts, that temple might be built. For before the days there were uh, for before these days there were no wages number one there were no wages for man nor any hiring for beasts there was no nothing for them to do there was no peace no rest from the enemy or probably better uh, from distress for whoever went out and whoever went in 
and that's a merism that means for everybody. And then thirdly, for I set out all men, everyone against his neighbor. So there was internal conflict. They just couldn't get anything done. They couldn't get together on anything. But now I will not treat the remnant, the exiles of this people, as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For, number one, for the seed shall be prosperous. Two, the vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. Three, four, and the heavens shall give their due. Five, I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were accursed among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will deliver you and you shall be a blessing, which is the sixth thing he's going to do. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. In other words, be encouraged. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when the fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent, so again in these days I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things that you shall do. First of all, speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Second, give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Third, let none of you think evil in your hearts against your neighbor. And four, do not love a false oath for all these things that I are things for all these things that I hate, says the Lord. And then the fourth message, the fourth answer here. Then the word of the Lord, which is the message of rejoicing. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, fast of the seventh, fast of the tenth. In other words, you can fast, mourn all you'd like, but those are going to be turned to joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, peace, and truth. In other words, they were supposed to, all of this was going to be changed, and they simply needed to be obedient. Uh, love the truth, and peace here probably refers to civility, uh, harmony with one another. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another one saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself, even I, the guy that was speaking here, will go up also. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grab the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Therefore, we have these visions, and now we have Zechariah talking to them about the future, but he's speaking to them with um, an understanding of an answer to a question that was asked by those who came down from Bethel. And now, uh, 9, 10 is one oracle. We have chapter 11, which is about the Messiah, is an interlude before we get to the last oracle, which is 12, 13, and 14. Uh, 12 go, or 9 and, uh, and 10 go pretty quickly here. The burden of the Lord, the burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach, which is north of, uh, of Dan, in the, uh, and Damascus, its resting place. For the eyes of the Lord and all the, the tribes of Israel are on uh, are on the Lord. So the eyes of these men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord as they now begin to act. 
and I failed to mention here that this first oracle is an oracle against the uh, against the nations. It's a f- the future of Israel, and it's against their enemies. For Tyre, build herself a towel, a tower. Uh, wait a minute, verse two. Also against Hamath, uh, which borders on it, and also against Tyre and Sidon though they are very wise, skilled, uh, have the application of knowledge. Now, what we're going to see here is actually, we believe, a historical uh, report of Alexander and and how Alexander destroys these nations during his uh, time. For Tyre, build herself a tower, heaped up silver like the dust and gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out he will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for he dried up her expectation. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. And this is what Alexander did as he moved down the coast. A mixed race shall settle in Ashdod, And I, this is the Lord using uh, Alexander, will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away the blood, the violence from his mouth and the, the abomination from between his teeth. Strength here and destruction. But he who remains, even he shall be for our God. And he shall be like a leader in Judah, an Ekron, like a Jebusite. In other words, they shall become part of Israel. I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him, the the marauder who passes by him, uh, by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them. For now I have seen with my eyes verse 9 we have this this is Zechariah 9 9 and we have this proclamation of the coming king and you'll recognize it rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you he is just and having salvation probably better translated he's legitimate and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey a colt the fold of a donkey I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And as we begin, we can we recognize verse 9 as the first advent and verse 10 is the second advent, which has not occurred yet. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, from the ten tribes, and the horse from Jerusalem, Judah. The battle bow shall be removed. In other words, they're not going to need military strength. He shall speak peaks to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And now, ending, uh, completing here, this is what God is going to do. And he makes five specific promises to them. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, this is the Abrahamic covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit, from exile. Return to the stronghold, to the land of Jerusalem, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you, for I have bent Judah my bow and fitted the bow with Ephraim 
and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. So 11 and 13 is the preservation of Israel. And then, beginning in verse 14, we have protection uh, in battle. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. Israel here, they shall drink and roar as if with wine. In other words, celebration. They shall be filled with the blood like basins. They shall be filled with blood like basins. In other words, uh, great victory. Like the corner of the altar. The Lord their God will deliver them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewel of the crown which has been raised over his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. So in other words, men and women are going to uh, uh, rejoice their strength. Now, let me just summarize here chapter 10. Because chapter 10... As we begin in verse 3, we have the, uh, that God is going to provide for them and their military strength. In verse 2, there's going to be purification, for the idols speak delusion, the diviners envision lies. Uh, they comfort in vain, therefore the people wander their way like sheep. And then he talks about, my anger is kindled in verse 3 against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herders. So they're these are the leaders who are leading them astray, and he's going to change that. In verse 4, the Messiah comes, uh, from, from him comes the cornerstone. From Israel comes the cornerstone, which is the Messiah. And then in verse 6, we have the regathering of Israel. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. So we have the southern and the northern kingdom. And I will bring them back together. So he's restoring them, and I will have mercy on them. And he continues in this way. And when he gets to verse 12, he says, I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall wake up, shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Now, having done all that, we would expect, as we begin verse 11, that we would have this great rejoicing as the Messiah is now returning to Israel. But when we get to chapter 11, we don't see that. We see instead we have really what we might describe here as disaster. We have judgment. It says, open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan. Of Bashan. For the thick forest has come down. So Zechariah begins this chapter, and uh, we're surprised that we have this judgment. And there's going to be judgment on shepherds. That's our next verse, verse 3. There is the sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. And the wailing shepherds here is the sense that God is punishing 
the rulers, the leaders of Israel. And as we read through the rest of chapter 11, there is this judgment on these uh, shepherds. Zechariah is told um, to feed them, to shepherd them like the Messiah. But the Messiah is going to be rejected. And when the Messiah is rejected, uh, the flock is disciplined. They are punished. And when we get to verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to me, Zechariah, Next take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. So we begin with a plural shepherds, and now we end with one shepherd. And we believe this one shepherd in verse 15 is the Antichrist. For indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those who, who still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. And we believe that that's a description of the Antichrist. And then in verses 12, 13, and 14, we have the final burden. And we've just studied this. But this is an interesting uh, three chapters because this is really a description of the tribulation. Description of the tribulation and then finally the millennium. And we saw in chapter 12 um, the burden of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Jerusalem, against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the people who would heave it away. And so this is the description in chapter 12 of the latter part of the, of the, the tribulation when these nations are coming against Jerusalem. And as you read chapter 12, you see that Jerusalem has a remnant within it that resists and has a very successful battle because the Lord is supporting them. You'll notice in verse 8, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them, in that he shall be like David, be a great warrior, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And then in verses 10 through 14, we see that Israel recognizes their rejection of the Messiah and they pour, uh, they, uh, it says, I will pour out in the house of David and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication and they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. So they recognize what they have done. In chapter 13, in that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the name of the idols. So this is the purging, cleansing within Israel 
uh, of all of these, of everything that is uh, does not uh, uh, cause them or bring them or p- help them to participate in the worship of the Lord. And in we have a very u- a unique section here, beginning in verse seven. In verse seven, we see the first advent, the Lord's first advent for when he goes to the cross. And it says here in verse 7, it's just sort of a historical interlude with the first part of what's going to happen to the Lord. We see the first advent, and then we're going to see the second advent. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. And the shepherd here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, this is the cross, and the sheep will be scattered. That's the 70 AD. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. And then we jump to the tribulation, the second part, or the second advent. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off, shall die, but one-third shall be left. I will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as, a, as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They shall call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. And then in chapter 14, the last chapter, the day of the Lord, we have the fight in Israel and how the Lord uh, delivers them. In that day, in verse 4, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north and half of it to the south. And this is how they will escape. But then they're also going to return and participate in the destruction of the Antichrist's army. Uh, Verse, let's see. And verses uh, 12 through uh, 15 follow really in chronological order to verse 7. And verse 8 really is the beginning of the millennium. So verses 8 through 11 is a description of the millennium. In that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. And then, when we arrive in verse 16, we have a, a description of the millennium. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from Israel, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And they will be celebrating in Jerusalem so that Verse 20, in that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's houses shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yet every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. And everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them in that day. And there shall no longer be anyone who is disobedient or an unbeliever in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now, Zechariah, again, is just a a wonderful book that takes us, uh, even though Zechariah is talking to the remnant that is in the land, 
his message really is supposed to be an encouragement to them, but most of it is a uh, a far fulfillment that is going to be uh, occurring in the tribulation and in the millennium. And for us, that of course is all yet future. And because it is yet future, uh, we will participate in the millennial portion of it in our resurrection bodies. Uh, and the, tribula- the tribulation is that time when the Lord returns and the, uh, the nation is purged, or the, the, the world is purged, and we enter the millennium with only believers. But what's interesting about the millennium, and you'll notice here in the very last verse, and this is something I'm going to probably address, I want to address. It says, Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them, these pots, and cook in them. And in that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord, and house of the Lord of hosts. And there is much discussion about what that means. Uh, why would we in the millennium say that? Well, if we think about the millennium and what it's going to be, we start with believers, but they're in their human body. And they all still have a sin nature. And we believe that those who are believers who enter the millennium are going to remain faithful. But there are going to be children who are born to them who have not seen the great things of the Lord who will not be faithful. And they are going to be the ones that periodically don't come to Jerusalem to worship. And you'll notice something I didn't read here. And it shall be that whoever, whichever, this is verse 17 in verse chapter, in chapter 14. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth that do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. So there are going to be people who are negative. There are going to be people who, who resist this and they're going to be forced to come simply by the Lord. Well, that's very interesting because that means that during the millennium, we are going to have those who are positive and very faithful, and we're going to have others that aren't. And is there ever going to be a time when we will see uh, all of that removed? And the answer is, yes, we will. And for most of us, we see that as the eternal state. But there seems to be some sense here that there is a part or there is a, a period of time subsequent to the millennium when we have on earth uh, nothing but uh, those who are truly committed and believers so that it's, then we have the perfect environment. And I may address that next time. Um, it's something that uh, a chap by the name of Clarence Larkin in his study of dispensationalism addressed and uh, we may look at that but uh, I wanted to go through Zechariah and, and try to pull it together and it's a difficult thing to do but uh, it's an important book it's an incredibly important book as far as prophecy is concerned there's a lot of detail there that, that we really worked our way through and hopefully it will not be a foreign book to you in the future let's bow our heads in prayer Dear Heavenly Father we're thankful for God the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand these things and we're thankful for this book and how it it fits with Isaiah 
and with Micah and with Daniel and then also with Revelation and the importance of it. And the more we spend time in it, the easier it is for us to begin to understand what you are telling us and how uh, the history of the Jews really is the uh, the pattern and the ruler for human history. And Father, we look for these uh, these events in the future. We know that we will not be here because of the rapture. Uh, but Father, we know that just as sure as you have fulfilled other promises in the past, these promises, these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And Father, we should recognize them uh, when they begin to occur, albeit we'll be in our resurrection bodies and maybe even participating in them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.